0: Presented by AT and T. Connecting changes everything. Strange News Daily is a production of iHeartMedia. In a world full of bizarre events, unsolved mysteries, and a billion stories from all corners of the globe, some news gets lost in the shuffle. This is your gateway to the stories on the fringe of the mainstream map. These are your dispatches in the dark. I'm Ben Bolin, and this is the Strange News Daily. Our first story today The Supreme Court of the United States has ruled that electors who formally select the president can be required by the state they represent to cast their ballot for the candidate who won the state's popular vote. The justices unanimously rejected the claim that electors have a right under the Constitution to defy their state and vote for the candidate of their choice. Justice Elena Kagan said electors are not free agents. They are to vote for the candidate whom the state's voters have chosen. Article two of the Constitution and the 12th Amendment gives states broad powers over electors and gives electors themselves no rights. This argument hinges on the electoral college system. It was created by the founding fathers, and it's been the subject of a lot of criticism lately. People say it's outdated or unfair to voters. In two of the past five presidential elections, the winner came in second in the national vote, but still won the election because they won a combination of states that yielded more electoral votes. This dispute before the high court could have injected an additional element of uncertainty into the ongoing presidential race. Just last year, the U.S. 10th Circuit Court of Appeals in Denver surprised election officials when it ruled that the Constitution, as written in 1787, assumed the state's electors were free to vote for their favorite candidate and that if that is the case, the same would hold true today. Constitutional scholars countered that although electors may have had an independent vote at the time the nation was founded, they've been required since the early 1800s to vote in line with the wishes of the party whose candidate won the state vote. And ever since then, the political parties have chosen slates of electors who pledged to cast a ballot for the party's presidential candidate should he or she win the state vote. Paul Smith is an election law expert with the Campaign Legal Center. He said the decision prevents a potential scramble over wavering electors in November. He stated, Voters should go to the polls with the confidence that their vote will count and that their political system will be free from corruption. However far from perfect the current system may be, the chaos of an unbound electoral college would have been even worse. This is an important ruling. In nearly every single election, there are a handful of what are known as faithless electors. They ignore their commitment to their party, and they can cast a vote different from their state's voters. These stray votes have usually been ignored, and so far they have not made a difference in the larger outcome. Most states have laws or rules of some sort that require electors to abide by their pledges and to follow the state's wishes. The Supreme Court agreed to hear two cases on the issue, one from Washington, where the state prevailed, and a second one from Colorado, whose rules were overturned. Harvard University Law Professor Lawrence Lessig, who represented the electors, said he was not entirely disappointed to lose the case. When we launched these cases, said Professor Lessig, we did it because regardless of the outcome, it was critical to resolve this question before it created a constitutional crisis— we have achieved that. Obviously, we don't believe the court has interpreted the Constitution correctly, but we are happy that we have achieved our primary objective. This uncertainty has been removed. That, he says, is progress. <laughs> Our second story today, a federal judge has officially ordered the shutdown of the Dakota Access Pipeline. While it's shut down, there will be an environmental review conducted. This project has been opposed by environmentalists as well as the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. The move was requested earlier this year by Standing Rock along with three other Sioux Tribes in the Dakotas. The groups fear environmental harm from the oil pipeline, and they've sued over the project four years ago. North Dakota officials said such a move, closing the pipeline, would have significant disruptive consequences for the state. Its oil has been hit hard in recent months, primarily by falling demand for crude as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. The chairman of Standing Rock, Mike Faith, said the tribe is trying to prevent a potential environmental disaster if the line ever leaks. Reacting to the ruling today, he said, For the tribe's sake, it's good news. I think for downstream users, it's good news also. The pipeline developer, Energy Transfer, plans to challenge this ruling. In a statement, the company called this an ill-thought-out decision and said it will be immediately pursuing all available legal and administrative processes adding it is confident that once the full law and the full record are fully considered, Dakota Access Pipeline will not be shut down and the oil will continue to flow. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which originally permitted the pipeline, has referred all media inquiries to the U.S. Department of Justice, which is representing the Corps of Engineers in the lawsuit. At this point, the Department of Justice has no immediate comment. But this decision has drawn criticism from what's known as the Maine Coalition, that's spelled M-A-I-N. It's a group of businesses, trade associations, and labor groups that all benefit from infrastructure projects. Their spokesman, Craig Stevens, said, Today's order to shut down Dakota Access jeopardizes our national energy security and raises significant concerns for the future of American energy infrastructure investment. The pipeline is a big deal. This is a multi-billion dollar project, $3.8 billion to be precise. After hearing arguments by both sides and other interested parties and stakeholders, U.S. District Judge James Bosberg, who's overseen the lawsuit, revoked a key Corps of Engineers permit for the pipeline and ordered that Dakota Access shall shut down the pipeline and empty it of oil by August 5th, 2020. Up to this time, the pipeline's been carrying as much as 570,000 barrels of oil each day. That's about 40% of the state's daily production before COVID hit. The judge acknowledged his order will cause significant disruption to the Dakota Access Pipeline, North Dakota oil industry, and potentially other states. But he also said that the Corps of Engineers was not able to substantiate its decision to avoid more thorough environmental investigations. <laughs> Our third story today. A lot of people who are self-isolating during the pandemic are seeing more and more of their household pets. Dogs might be barking through your Google Hangout or your Zoom meeting. If you're like me, you might have a couple of cats that have become your caterwauling co-producers. And while quality time with pets is never a bad thing, of course, it can be trying for even the most patient pet owner. Still... You're probably not as bad off as Majid Magic Ismali. He is quarantined by himself with several hundred squawking parrots. In an email to the Tampa Bay Times, he put the subject line as SOS. His letter said, My name is Majid Ismali, also known as Magic, and I am a prisoner in my own property with over 200 parrots. No way to get in or out. He says that since early March, he's been trapped due to a court order in a property dispute that's landlocked him on his five-acre Florida bird sanctuary in Tampa. It's surrounded on all sides by other people's property. So he has been flying solo, taking care of lovebirds, macaws, African greys, and more. There's one large aviary on the property and about 50 individual enclosures. Before the coronavirus who who is 58, said he had no shortage of volunteers helping him out. Now, he says, I get up before the sun and all day I'm cleaning, fixing cages, feeding parrots until night. At night, I answer a few emails from people who want me to take their parrots, but I can't take the parrots now. I am only one person. Some volunteers were allowed to bring him food early on after the court order, but they haven't been back. And as Molly says, it's been a struggle to feed the birds as well as feeding himself. Mostly, he says, both he and the parrots have been getting by eating bananas and bamboo shoots, which he grows all over the property. He's been rationing a few bags of rice and sleeping in a small office nearby. Hop on the internet if you'd like to see a virtual tour of the sanctuaries. Molly recently gave one over a video app. And as he spoke to the various parrots, they called back. They barked. They imitated telephones and cats. Uh, One notable bird just kept saying, "'Want a beer?' Want a beer?' But mostly was an unending, chaotic cacophony of shrieks and screeches. As Molly says, it's like living near an airport. You get used to the sound. Most of these birds are simply pets that someone else didn't want anymore. Some of them were abused or injured. A few attacked someone— And it's important to note that some of these birds can live up to 80 years, which means that some of them, sadly, outlived their owners. Linda Fowler, the neighbor who's also involved in this property dispute, spoke with the media as well. She said she previously allowed Ismali to use a path to his property, but she had to take him to court because she was fed up with him being a terrible neighbor. She said he failed to honor a deal made when she sold him the property 10 years ago, allowing her to ride horses across his sanctuary. She says, I operate a horseback riding ranch and children's camp, and he jumps out of the woods looking like a madman because he lives back there and he makes children cry. After years of abuse from him, I said enough. He needs to use his own egress and ingress. I'm over it with him. She said that she spent $100,000 in court fighting with her neighbor for years over this property. She also says he has a different legal path out to a public road he's supposed to use through a different neighbor's property. That path, we should note, is currently blocked by years of overgrowth and someone else's fence, but Fowler says that's not her problem and that it is up to Mr. Ismali to figure out how to negotiate that with his other neighbors. A Hillsborough County judge ruled in Fowler's favor earlier this year, but this week the judge granted a stay that will pause the court order, allowing Ismali to use the path while the case is in the appeals process. Ismali's having a hard time of it. He says he has no money. He says he has no children, and he puts everything he has into these parrots. If you'd like to learn more about his Molly's story or get a closer look at his avian roommates, you can visit the sanctuary directly at Zaxi.com. That's all for now. We've been asking you to chime in with suggestions for stories you think your fellow listeners might enjoy, to hit us with your best or worst puns and dad jokes, and to share your personal experience with COVID-19. The ongoing protest, or whatever else is happening in your neck of the global woods. Let us know by tagging hashtag Strange Daily on Twitter or reach out to me directly. I'm at Ben Bullen HSW on Twitter or at Ben Bullen on Instagram. Thanks as always to our super producer, Dylan Fagan, our research associate, Sam Teagarden, and most importantly, thanks to you. I'm Ben Bolin. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, stay strange. important information.